Thanks, Mike, for finally letting me tour the Cage Club Podcast Network studios. No problem, Brian. But hey, could you not tell Joey? He hates it when you mess around with his stuff. Is that every Nick Cage movie ever? Yup. From Fast Times to Massive Talent, this network is pretty much the house that Nicky Coppola built. Hey, what about over there? Where do those stairs go? No pressure. <laughs> <clears throat> this is Uncle Francis's wine cellar, the podcast where we break down the films of Francis Ford Coppola, cut by cut. And this is a Cage Club Network production. Love it. Buonasera. Have a seat. Have a glass. And welcome to Uncle Francis's wine cellar. I'm Brian Rodriguez, but. Where's Michael? We're not starting the podcast without Michael. <laughs> and I'm Mike Manzi. Welcome. This is an exciting moment, Mike. We finally get to talk oh, a man. Francis Ford Coppola film, and it's not just a film, it's the film. I can't wait. Yeah, here we are. No pressure, nothing like that or anything, only talking about <laughs> the greatest movie ever made. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you didn't like it on this watch. I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, not to show my hand or nothing, but I loved it. Um, <laughs> I hadn't seen it in a while. I had not seen it, you know, all the way through in quite some time. And a few surprises, a few things I'd forgotten, and lots of great moments. So. so if you're new to the show, Mike and I are talking the films of Francis Ford Coppola, as he said, or sorry, as The Godfather said, cut by cut, um, which means there are a lot of cuts of a lot of Francis films, (laughs) and we'll be going through all of them, and it's not a random order, but it's not going to be chronologically. We already covered The Offer, which was the Paramount Plus show, not directed by Francis Ford Coppola, but about this film. So I'm excited to finally talk a Francis film, but I want to remind you guys before we get into it, because we got a lot to talk about today, of a couple things. First, don't know how long this episode's going to go. We might break it up as a two-parter. We'll play that one by ear because it is a long movie. It is a great movie. It might be something, though, that we can just talk so freely and wrap up quickly because we know it so well. I don't think so. Judging by the record. <laughs> but, but yeah, so if we take a break in the middle, you know why. But also, remember, and, and I thought of this, Mike, while watching the movie. It's corny, but I got to do it. This new segment we have on the podcast. Keep your friends close, but your podcasters closer. And hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Google Podcast, <laughs> Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher. While you're there, give the show a positive review or a five-star rating. Also, you can check us out at the flagship, at the Nephews station, right? Cageclub.me, that's cageclub.me, the home of Mike, so many of your podcasts, a couple of my podcasts, a lot of of stuff on Cage Club. Also, social media, I am at OhMyRodriguez on Twitter. Mike, you are the Mikester, right, on everything? Yes. Yeah, the underscore Mikester. Correct. That's right. We also have an Instagram page, and that is Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. Name of the show, easy to find. And also, tell a friend, t- tell a paisan about <laughs> Francis' wine cellar. Very good. Tell a, f- a former enforcer, a fellow goomba. Let them know about the show. 
Yep, Mike. While I do admire your Mets hat, I appreciate it. it it's Godfather Day, so I had to dress up. <laughs> I, know. I love it. I wasn't. Yeah, I was not uh, prepared for that. You know, I was uh, sort of surfing the net, looking for the right Francis shirt. I still haven't come across it yet, but I love what you're sporting tonight. It looks really good. Yeah, why don't you explain to the listeners at home? Yeah, for those of you just listening and not watching a video of this, I don't know. I saw this shirt online by I think the contenders is the name and it just has all the five families written on it so standing up a little <laughs> Corleone on top though yeah Corleone and Tataglia Barzini and two others no one cares about they do get killed spoiler alert <laughs> Stracci <laughs> and of course this is Uncle Francis's wine cellar it's not just about the film it's about the wine I oh boy have another Francis Ford Coppola wine here. It is decanting right now. It is Francis Coppola's Cabernet Sauvignon Diamond Collection 2019. Ooh, Ooh, very nice. Diamond Collection 2019. Sweet. Very good year. You cellar dwellers out there, you nephews, if you're keeping track of the wines that I'm drinking on the show, put put a mark next to your checklist on this one. It's the purple one. (laughs) Very nice. I like how he color codes them. I know, and the purple's beautiful, isn't it? Nice decanter you got going there. Had to decant this one, had to. Let it jingle a little more for the people listening closely. (laughs) We'll get get some good Godfather quality Foley work, if you couldn't hear the jingle. (laughs) I also have... (laughs) Yeah, what what does they say? A glass of water? What is that? No, ASMR. But no, yes, this is a glass oh, of water right. I have. But... Yes, ASMR of wine being poured. <laughs> oh, look at that. It's a Godfather glass. Nice. Is that a pint yes. glass? Uh, it's a pint glass. Salute. I wish it was a wine glass. Well, I shouldn't say that. Yes, salute. But um, this is a glass given to me by my friend, Mike. If you remember, he named me the Godfather of his child, and he gave me this glass. So I wanted to show oh, it off here. excellent. Very cool. So I am ready to talk the Godfather. It's like, where do you begin with this one? Yeah, this is where, the Godfather. <laughs> I guess you start at the beginning with the cast. I mean, that's why we did the offer, right? As sort of like it leans us into Francis and the Godfather together. So we, so now that we're here, I feel like we did a lot of groundwork. Ooh. Like we don't have to talk about the producer. Everyone, at, if you're listening along, knows about Al Ruddy. You know, I'm already, uh, I'm real boring, but I get a lot of shit done <laughs> because I got no social life, uh, so I just work all the time. Uh, that's how ready. You know, we'll, we'll talk plenty about Francis and stuff, but like, you know, we well, don't Mike, have to go exactly. into and, Exactly. You know. Like, I'm, I'm doing my regular show notes, and I have like a little template for all, all the sh- shows I do, and I'm like, why the hell am I writing the director's name? You know, <laughs> it's Francis Ford Coppola. And just because we watched the offer and we just know so much about this movie, it felt silly to write production notes. Side note, yeah. Mike, we are going to get into it here on Uncle Francis and uh-huh. the Seller. We're not going to talk, just going to talk the movies. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. special features one day. We're going to do the other cuts oh, yeah. of, uh, not necessarily The Godfather, because is there another cut of just the godfather because i couldn't find one so i don't think on its own there's anything different than this you know three hour cut theatrical version but 
You know about the saga cut, which combines this and part two in chronological order. So in, in a sense, I consider that an extra cut of The Godfather. I mean, one and two, you know, I, I don't know how if it, you watch it once for the both of them. <laughs> and dude, there are a ton of those saga legacy, you know, whatever cuts where they there's a cut that's all three of the movies. Oh. There's a shorter cut of all two. I I have a <laughs> list of them on like our Uncle Francis Master list. And point is, we're going to be watching this movie again. We're going to be talking about this movie probably more than any other movie. Mm. We reference it so often in what we do for other projects here. This is you know this puts Francis on the map. So yeah, today if we don't get to everything in The Godfather. Apologies, we're going to try our best, but it will be revisited. I, I do want to talk about it. We might even talk Godfather games on here. There was a Godfather video game. There, there's oh, Godfather yeah. everything, so we'll get to it. <laughs> Godfather the lunchbox, Godfather <laughs> the video game. Yeah, can't wait. We're going to be pulling many, many, many different vintages of the Godfather from the cellar. So don't worry about it. Ooh, I like that, Brian. That's a, yeah, he's got different vintage of his movies. <laughs> we got we got to work that in more, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like, uh, was the the Outsiders? It's Ooh. like, which, which vintage do you want to watch? <laughs> we should refer to them as that. See, ideas coming up. As we go here. On the fly, you're witnessing it as we are, people. <laughs> so, Mike, on the master list, I have Theatrical Cut, which is probably what we watch today. I have The, the mm-hmm. Godfather Saga, which is one and two together. Then there's a Godfather Saga AMC cut, which aired on AMC in 2012, which apparently is different from the original Godfather Saga cut. Whoa, okay. I wonder what's up with that. Maybe... Is it longer? Is it shorter? Now, okay, I've got I've got one more for you, Brian, and this might drive you a little crazy because I just realized this. I watched it on my Blu-ray, but this was just re-released in 4K. There's also DVD versions and VHS versions, and each of them are different restorations. So they all look a little different in color lighting and all that kind of thing too so what do we do about that are are we gonna go that crazy well i made an executive decision on that like we can't possibly (laughs) do that like because what are we going to talk about again in like a difference between you know two different dvd cuts where one was color slightly different we might mention it like mention what you saw in the 4k i watched on paramount plus Mm -hmm. we'll get to that Who knows, if this show blows up and we run out of episodes, <laughs> maybe we'll do that. But yeah, that that's a tall yeah. task. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was more or less joking about that, but it does add to the number of cuts of The Godfather that there are. You know, like, which color grading do you prefer? <laughs> I think we'll have to watch all of them and then go back to that kind of stuff. But right, Mike, right. I have two other got potential Godfather cuts for you. I did my homework. Mm-mm. Do tell, do tell. In 1981, The Godfather, the complete epic, 1902 to 1959, aired on TV. So this is pre... This is pre... (laughs) Sorry. It's just laughable. It's pre-Godfather 3, so it's only the first two films again. Yes. But apparently this one has... This was released on VHS, and it just has all the deleted scenes put in. 
as well. So this is all the footage they have. Okay, so that must be the one that's available on eBay affordably. There's a bunch of copies floating around out there. I'd like to get a copy of that eventually. So that must be that, or they eventually release on VHS. Or, Mike, it could be the VHS 1992 release, The Godfather Trilogy, which is the same thing with The Godfather 3 inserted at the end. No, no, no. I specifically <laughs> was was looking for the ones without Godfather 3. You know, that's an S, a full extra tape or two, I believe. Yeah. But that's insane. We're, we're going to have to do it at some point, <laughs> but we'll get there. Well, I mean, it's it's the it's it's the reason for the show. Like as the genesis of the podcast was like we're not just doing a Francis show. It's like we're doing it because he has so many different versions of so many different movies that he made. Like what compels a man? Uh, you know, we all talked about George Lucas with the special editions and even Spielberg did stuff, mucked around with E.T. and Close Encounters. But like this takes it to a whole different degree that I want to kind of try and at least try to get to the bottom of <laughs> somehow. But before it, we got to do the classics or we got to just do some more Coppola films, honestly. Yeah, we just got to get into movies now. I mean, I'm done with TV. I don't think Francis did any more t- any TV on his own either, so that's good. So I'm ready to. Is Captain EO television? Did he do episodes? There's of some ER? stuff. There's some stuff that oh, I found boy. in research. So I spoke, so maybe I spoke too soon. <laughs> by the way, by the way, this wine, this Cabernet Sauvignon might be my favorite that I've had of the Coppola collection. So cheers to that. Very nice. Speaking of Coppola and the collection, I already showed you this, Mike, but I got this Francis Ford Coppola film studies book on Amazon. It's really good. It's film history logbook for movie buffs by George Argyle. It's, It's part of this greatest film director series. I'd never heard of it. And it's a notebook. And to be honest with you, I'm probably not going to write in it because my handwriting's terrible and my notes are longer than what it is. But I might go by this guy's logic with what are Coppola films you should study. So before we get into The okay. Godfather, I'm just going to go through it. Well, And we'll do more than this because, Mike, I also want to talk the books. We'll get into that in a, bit, a little bit. But Ooh, good call. This is, according to this author, George Argyle, this is what a good film scholar like us should study of his. Dementia 13. You're a big boy now. These are some of the early stuff that I don't really know. The property... That I've seen. The property condemned. Never heard of it. Just writer on it. So he's counting, like, the main writing credits. Oh, I gotta watch Patton for the first time, too. Yeah, so let's get there. Finian's Rainbow. The Rain People. Patton, as you said. And then we're caught up here to The Godfather. The Conversation. Yeah. Now, this one I wasn't thinking about. 1974's The Great Gatsby, because he did the screenplay. Did he really? Yeah. I was not aware of that. And he finally got to work with Robert Redford, huh? Yeah, so that's, that's interesting, funny. right? So Godfather Very 2, cool. Apocalypse Now, uh-huh. One from the Heart, The Outsiders. Yeah. Rumblefish, okay. The Cotton Club, which 
you've seen. Wait, he's just listing all of his movies. Yeah, exactly. But but I mean, it's a study guide. I thought he were like, these are the ones you got to focus on. No, no, this is anyway. just a notebook. It's just like when you watch them, you take notes. Okay, okay. So you're just going through his his filmography. I thought this was more like, oh, th- these are the key films that he thought. No, were no, the no, most, no. But uh, but his filmography is controversial. Because it's like, oh, what yeah. do you count, right? So let's see. Cotton Club, Peggy, well, Peggy Sue Got Married, mm-hmm. Gardens of Stone, Tucker, The Man in His Dream, Godfather Part Wait, 3. Wait, what, what is this Gardens of Stone thing? What is that? He directed but didn't write? I don't know. Okay, Tucker, definitely. Godfather 3, Bram Stoker's Dracula, yeah. Jack. Oh, well, yeah. See, there's the controversy. Why? Because of who's in that movie. <laughs> Robin Williams? Bill Cosby. Oh. <laughs> Well, that that's different, okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the Rainmaker, Youth Without Youth, Tetro, Twixt. But we have more than that on our list, too, because, again, we're covering other stuff. We have New York Stories on our list, so I'm excited for it. Yeah, why isn't New York Stories on that list? I mean, that is technically a movie, but it's an anthology. But it's, you know, it's no different than Tales from the Crypt, except, like, lighthearted stories about New York. Yeah, I guess because it's know. only partially his, so... Let's then put a timeline on this for those of you not familiar with The Godfather. So when we look at that timeline, it's right after he wrote Patton and before, you know, he'll be big from this, but before The Conversation, The Great Gatsby, and then, of course, Godfather 2. So he's done weird stuff with Corman. He's fixed the movies for Corman. As you know, Mike, he's bought, like, Corman's bought foreign properties and he's told Coppola make this into an American film he gets the patent job he's somewhat famous from that and as we know from the offer he gets offered The Godfather and starts to work on the script with Mario Puzo who wrote of course the best selling novel The Godfather and that's where we are nice okay all caught up (laughs) well I know you know it I know it anyone who's listening to this show (laughs) knows it so Let's just talk about the cast of this epic film. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. This cast, Mike. Very cool. Huge. Bigger than I... You know what's fun about revisiting it later in life is, like, I know more of these actors from other stuff now. (laughs) So it's much more fun, like, to focus my attention on other parts of the movie from time to time. Um, Like, Sterling Hayden, like, oh, my God, like... You know, I he's in every Kubrick film just about, right, yeah. up until his death. So, like, I I forgot that he was the cop or it just never connected. So that just added a whole new dimension to those scenes for me. Again, it feels so silly to do this, to be like, remember Marlon Brando played Vito Corleone, The Godfather? But so <laughs> it's just it's just <laughs> kind of a formality today, right? Okay. Marlon Brando yeah. cast as... as the Godfather here. Controversial casting at the time, but knocks it out of the park. Oh, we'll get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good, though. You know, like, uh, I remember as a kid, I didn't know he wasn't, that that was makeup and yeah, stuff, Yeah, me either, right? me either. And, like, now, as an adult, that stuff held up under Blu-ray conditions, so <laughs> it still holds up. Good makeup. Oh, I'm glad it I'm glad um, it held up under Blu-ray. It certainly did on Paramount Plus as well. Speaking of Paramount Plus, so I log on, I'm watching the movie, and it says Godfather only available for eight more days. What? And I'm like, wait, it's Paramount. I just watched the offer. How do they not own the Godfather films? Apparently, by the time this episode is released, 
the Godfather films will not be on Paramount Plus, and I can't find that, out where they are. Like I've been researching, I don't know. That is a riot. Like what in the world? Like that is their flagship movie. Like you, you get Paramount Plus so you can watch The Godfather anytime you want, right? Oh my god. What is going on in the streaming world? <laughs> I don't know if like, the offer just did do well, and they're like selling The Godfather to another network so that they can make some money. No, there's <laughs> no know what's way. Going on. There's no way. No, it's what you said. Like it, it's like Netflix. How movies come and go, but like, where would it go? Like that's what doesn't make any sense. Well, oh, man, not strange. the Godfather though. Not the Godfather. That's oh a, that's man. A tough one. Oh man, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, Al Pacino, of course, is Michael. Um, I told the story already on our offer episodes, but I'll, I'll tell it again. That when I first saw the movie, I had no yes. idea it was Al Pacino playing Michael because the Al Pacino <laughs> I knew as a kid was Al Pacino. You know, like it's yeah, like, from Jack and Jill. Exactly. <laughs> not, yes, that's when I was a kid. Pacino. That's what you knew him from. 90s Al Pacino, that's what I knew, and my mom had bought one of the DVD sets, and I had watched it for the first time, thought it was awesome, and my uncle, who, believe it or not, hadn't seen it, was like, oh, you saw The Godfather? Do you mind watching it again? I'm like, yeah, totally. And I remember... He's like, oh, that that's Al Pacino, right? Like, we're watching it. I'm like, that's not Al Pacino. He's like, yes, it is. <laughs> I'm like, Al Pacino doesn't talk like that. Now you see again how great Al Pacino was and is. And oh, and the fact that, again, we learned in the offer that, like, how much Francis had to fight for him to get in this film. So good. So good. So worth it. Like, what I love about his performance in this movie is, like, you can chart every single step of his evolution as a character, and it all makes really good sense. And in the beginning, yeah, he's a war hero, but he's very sort of reserved and quiet and all this. And at the end, he's quiet and reserved, but he commands respect and power. And physically, the way that he just seems so much bigger as a person, as a guy, like by the end, it's wild the way he's able to transform himself in this movie. Terrific actor, man. What a performance. The the greatest, I think, transformation in film history. Not and I don't mean like physically, but there is, you know, a bit of physical there. I just mean like from the character we mm-hmm. meet to the character he yeah. becomes. Just like, like nice guy war hero to a monster before our eyes. And not like an over <laughs> dramatic one you know just oh my god not yet anyway he will become very over dramatic but you're right like you you see him lose his soul throughout the movie and it's not i mean he makes a lot of bad choices of course like but it's to protect his family and it's the lifestyle of this but like a lot of shit also happens to the guy, you know what I mean? Like a lot of force of nature that he can't control. So it's just insane that he survives at all and comes out on top. And yeah, if anybody has any doubt that he couldn't do this, like I'm sure they were like eating their hats the next day. Absolutely, Mike. Absolutely. So this is the first time I watched this movie and ever thought of this modern term when I, when I watched it, but Michael goes from 
I don't know, kind of being a little demure or being a little bit like, not that he's ever like Fredo level, but he's certainly sort of out of the family. Like his, his, his father wants to be a senator. He's like, senator Corleone, Governor Corleone, stuff like that. <laughs> but to see that, to see after Michael kills McCluskey and the Turk, the big dick energy <laughs> that the character suddenly has <laughs> is amazing. And you see it in Sicily when um, the father comes up and it's like, oh, that's my daughter mm-hmm. or whatever. And he's like, no, 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 bring him back out here. And he's like, I'm going to marry your daughter, essentially. I'm like, oh, my God. Well, yeah, he's like, he's like you're, you could either, your daughter could either lose her father or you could gain – like or she could gain a husband like which will it be you're right about that you know what i think he gains it earlier i think it's after he gets punched in the face Mm. by mccluskey and he goes back home and they do that zoom in shot he comes up with the plan we're gonna shoot a cop like it's his idea he's like you know this is a crooked cop a bad guy you know (laughs) we're tied to drugs like he does that whole thing he convinces everybody it's the right idea but certainly Certainly, yeah, I think the term applies. <laughs> when he gets to Sicily, it's so funny. That scene, you're right. I forgot how he just like threatens the man. <laughs> you know, he's like, You let me date your daughter, or like you don't breathe anymore, basically. <laughs> and we're gonna break this movie down in its various parts because again, it is based on Puzo's book, a bestseller at the time, and it is very book like it is a uh, episodic chapter like right the film mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i think it does a really great job of that and as mike you know firsthand they didn't use everything in the book here <laughs> yeah that's for sure they only used the best parts you could say for this movie i mean i think a lot of it comes into the next movie too whatever there's all those flashbacks are are in the book as well that they use for part two but then they concoct all the new stuff for michael in the screenplay for part yeah. two. So Woo, that's um, going to be a task. They use most. Yeah. They use most of it. The Johnny Fontaine movie is what they cut out of the, of the, you know, like all that stuff in the book, the Johnny Fontaine stuff is gone from here, but that was a lot of the book. Mike on your other show, third time's a charm. One of the times when we, one of the times, <laughs> one of the times when we covered the Godfather three, you read from the Godfather book, one of the weirdest chapters I've ever heard. I'm tempted to release it yep. kind of like as a bonus on this feed, just you reading that chapter. <laughs> so look out for that because I think that was awesome. But yeah, yeah, there's a warning. Like you know, someone should go around to the, all the Barnes and Nobles and rip that chapter out of every copy of the Godfather. I think even Francis complains about like you know. I'm not going to do that in the movie, you know, on the on, on the audio commentary and the behind the scenes that we'll come to talk about in the future. Like he references that chapter and the nonsense <laughs> that it is, and it's like you know, no one wants to make that movie. He's like, I certainly didn't want to make that movie, but you know, in due time, we'll we'll get back to that can of worms. Oh yeah, <laughs> and then we have to talk James Caan, right? As Sonny, we just lost him. Just again. The masculinity of that character, and I don't necessarily mean that in a good way. She's just yeah, oh yeah. Here's another modern term we could use: toxic masculinity. Mm. Like this, this guy is, you know, like nuclear. Like he is a a, a toxic waste dump, <laughs> basically. You know, there's no doubt that like he loves his family but he has absolutely no idea how to take care of them the right way he's just super super impulsive and 
you know, it's all just like punch your way to the solution. This guy, uh, Michael's going to talk, talk a lot of solutions. And then when the talk doesn't work, you, you fight, but Sonny goes right to, you know, right to that. Sonny could have never concocted the plan that Mike did at the end. Right. Right. There's no way. Oh, the uh, <laughs> oh the uh, the whole sort of like massacre that takes place during the christening that that part. Yeah, like, especially uh, it takes everybody out at the same time. Especially the whole Carlo angle of it. Oh yeah, yeah, and we'll definitely definitely get into that. As far as the other kids go, though, uh, speaking of Carlo, how about his wife in the film? It's her wedding at the beginning. Connie, played by Talia Shire, Francis Ford Coppola's yeah. sister in this. What do you think of her when on this rewatch? You know, I I love her as an actress. Like she is so different in this than she is in at least like the first two Rocky movies. You know, before she kind of like grows the spine. Adrian grows the spine, and then Rocky three, four, and five. Like she's a completely different person, but like, I, I love Talia Shy. Like Connie is a completely different person than Adrian, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. Like I like her energy. I, you know, I think she fits right in. I, I don't know. I wonder, I come to wonder how many people actually would have put together that she was Coppola's sister because they have different last names, you know, she's married. So she's Talia Shire. I wonder if that's some kind of thing they got away with in some way, but I think she's she's very good. She's very authentic, you know. She just she just plays it really simply and naturally, you know. Everything about this is so naturalistic. At times you almost feel like you're watching home movies that like, you know, someone left the camera on by accident and captured like a bunch of fighting. <laughs> and you know what? That's aided by the dark maker himself, right? Gordon Willis. Mm-hmm. His cinematography, I really was like looking out for it this time again, especially after the offer. I love Gordon Willis. I love the way he shoots things. Just those sh- yeah. light and dark and the shadow play. And you're right, like, it has a home movie quality at times. And that's not a bad thing. It just it, it gives an authenticity that you hardly see in other films. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's just like natural lighting and, and that kind of thing. But, I, I mean, I'm looking at the list of movies. He's made so many, he's shot so many great films but i wonder if he ever made a straight up horror movie so i'm not quite maybe windows i'm not sure talia shire's in that as well but i haven't seen that movie it is a suspense thriller so i might have to check it out as i look at these characters i want to talk about and actors and i look at all the things i want to talk about i just think that there are people out there probably like wait you're skipping this wait you're missing that you know this is such a beloved movie that we could have a 20-hour conversation about it. We could bring in a guest, and it would be a different conversation. Everyone knows a little mm-hmm. bit here or there. There are some diehard fans of this film. So we just got to hit the highlights, talk what we got to talk. And please, if you're out there and there's something we missed or there's something you want to talk about, hit us up on social media. We'll answer you. Yeah, well, it's like you said, Brian. This is not the last time we will be diving into this The Godfather part one you know to some degree at least so yeah we're just you know we'll get there i like how we're talking about how we're going to talk about the movie a lot challenging mike on our other shows we talk about some really dumb obscure films and we do it for two hours so it's like <laughs> well, 
Well, well, okay. Let's let's talk a little about John Cazale. I was gonna like, say I'm fredoing right now. I don't know if I can handle the pressure, yeah, Mike. I, mean, I don't. He he he's like okay. So the guy like maybe one of the world's only perfect actors. Oh. Like he's only been in great movies and he's only been great in them. Uh, gone too soon, but goddamn, like what a fucking actor and like what a presence and. It's funny because he and Michael and Connie all feel like very closely related, whereas Sonny is the one who feels like maybe he's um, not really from the same side of the family or something like that. But I'm really blown away by how much resemblance is going on between the Corleones. When I first watched it and other subsequent watches on TV... I didn't really look for the nuances that I was looking for today. And sometimes with great movies or movies you've watched a lot, when you watch it for a podcast, when you watch it with a student's pencil, you see some of its flaws or you see... It's not as enjoyable, you know what I mean? It was more enjoyable for me this time actually Mm. looking at these things and seeing the family dynamic. I, I don't know how much screen time Fredo gets. It's not a lot. It's all amazing. Connie, it's all amazing. You know, so so John Gazelle, yeah. what a job. We're going to talk um, at some point. We'll do that, like, documentary they did on him a couple of years ago. Just Oh, right. Because, like, three of those five films he did that were all Oscar-nominated or whatever it is were Coppola films, so it is relevant. Yeah, yeah, and he worked with Pacino again in Dog yeah. Day Afternoon, you know, and then The Deer Hunter. I mean, he worked with everybody in that movie. <laughs> And then let's let's talk the other Coppola child, if you will. He's not actually a child, but Robert Duvall as Tom Hagen. Now, Tom, oh, yeah. as legend goes, as the book goes, and we learn a little bit more in Godfather 2, Tom was just an orphan on the street. Sonny befriended him. The Don took him in and raised him almost as one of his sons. But also, you know, he paid for his law degree. He raised him as a son, but also like to be the family lawyer as well. And as Michael says in that mm-hmm. initial uh, wedding scene, he's like, you know, he's a good lawyer, not Sicilian, and he'll never be Sicilian. And, and that matters now. And I don't know why I focused on the Tom character this much on this watch, but he's so fascinating because he like wants, and not in like a yeah. Fredo way, wanting to be part of the action, but Tom wants to be part of the action so bad. And he is qualified, but at times he's cut out. At times he is doing the dirty work. Such a fascinating character Tom Hagen is. Oh, yeah, yeah. This time, he, to me, feels very sort of Dickensian, like Oliver, almost, you know? Like, you got to imagine, like, it was, what, maybe, like, the the 20s or something, where he was an orphan in New York City, and in the book, it says, like, he had, like, an infected eye or something like that, too. And uh, you could only imagine that Sonny was a little sort of, like you know, pickpocketer or something like that, like running around the streets, having fun, like the artful Dodger or something. <laughs> and he bring, he brings this kid home one day and the dad's like, you know what? Like, I'm going to groom this as a child, but to like work for me and be my like consigliere as an adult. And like, you know, um, Tom never had like a chance or a choice or anything, but other than, you know, he would have wound up dead in the street anyway. It's just so... It's just such a weird thing now as an adult to think about this character's life. And, you know, he has no problem accepting 
who the Corleones are, what they do, what their businesses, what that entails. You know, when when Tess, when he's telling Tessio, like, I can't come with you either, Tessio. Like, he knows Tessio's about to get shot. Like, he's like, that car is like, K. he's like, what happened in that car? He's like, oh, that's just an accident. He's like, no, we blew some guy up in that car. Like, he's giving orders and he's like standing around the room when people are going to get, you know, killed and stuff. So, like, he's in on all of it. It's it, He's just as criminal he's got like this face that says like, you could trust me. I'm a nice guy, but he's not a nice guy. And like, I think this is the first time I might've really realized that. Yeah. He's just as ruthless as the rest of them, but he kind of lives in both these worlds of being in this mafia family, but also being a conduit to the outside. Because again, he is a lawyer. He, he goes to court for the Don, presumably. Right. But he also sent to kill people at times, not usually not himself, but you know, to give, the orders out, the Don's wishes. And he's consigliere, one of the highest things you can be in the Mafia, right? Two things I'm going to mention, and I will mention these things again on this podcast because they're what-ifs that I, like, frankly, you know I talk about a lot. So the first one, mm-hmm. Godfather 3. He was supposed to be Michael's foil in Godfather 3. Interesting, yes. He, Robert Duvall, wanted equal money to Al Pacino, which, honestly, I think he deserved, they didn't want to pay him that, so they rewrote the entire Godfather 3. I think that would have been such a great story, because if you think about his origins, think about he never fit in, and it, he feels like he's qualified to run the family, and Michael's telling him no, like, I don't know, that's compelling to me. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that I would have loved to have seen is that Godfather 4 rumored thing that they were going to do, which was going to be kind of 90s mafia, but that aside, it was also going to be the rise of Sonny. I would have loved to see yes. young Tom Hagen, you know, as almost the voice of reason to Sonny as they both rise up the criminal world. Like you kind of said, Artful Dodger, like mm-hmm. them even as teenagers yeah. or, or, you know, in their early 20s <laughs> doing stuff like that. Like I thought that, I think that would have been cool. So I won't go on more because we'll talk about them on later projects, but I couldn't help but think that this time <laughs> while watching. Yeah, that's that's a fun aspect too to explore as well, right? There, the relationship between those two boys, you know. Yeah, I'd like to see all of that. Yeah, I'm down for anything. Remember, you know, we, <laughs> we've mentioned it on previous episodes. We're we're down for wherever this wants to go. Like, make it a show. I'll watch it. Sure, explore whichever corners of this as you can. Just don't stay on Tatooine the entire time, like they're doing on Star Wars. <laughs> like, just get off that planet. <laughs> Something else you made me think of with Tom, Mike, is the fact that. You feel like growing up that like Connie, Fredo, and Michael were more close together and that like it was the Tom and Sonny show. You know, like they're the, they were the mm-hmm. older kids, they were doing their thing, they were more hooliganish, and then the younger kids were not that way, right? Like Fredo right, Fredo right. feels like he yeah. he's like a mama's boy sort of. Yeah, yeah. Well the Don even says to Michael at the end where he's like, you know, Sonny never had a chance all right like uh but uh fredo was never really made for this life connie you know she's she's a woman it's not her place according to him and then michael he's like you know i wanted you to be the 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 go straight the straight man he's like he's basically telling him like you could do this standing on your head with an arm tied behind your back but you could do so much more yeah is the way that it, it came through to me (laughs) <laughs> there's a scene where the Don um, he, when they're talking to the Turk and Sonny sort of speaks up right 
And then he's like, apologies, mm-hmm. I have a weakness for my children. I love that. But uh, but I, I also think, too, like, his weakness for his children is not just his love, but he has an intelligence about them. And he's trying to place them in roles that he think they would succeed in. But he can't fight fate. He can't fight the inevitable. And the inevitable is Michael being probably the smartest and Michael rising to the top of this criminal family. Yeah, yeah, that just goes to show, like, everyone has the best intentions for their children. You know, you want them to grow up to be an astronaut or president or whatever. And it's like, kind of the more you impose that on them, like, the less of a chance you might have of that happening sometimes. And they'll just, like, do the opposite without you even wanting them to just gravitate towards that, you know? And then you never know what they would have gone for on their own, right? Like, if if the dad never pushed for... Michael to be a senator and like whispered in his ear like oh you're gonna do this you're gonna be this like if he had just sort of let let him grow on his own he might have been a judge or something one day so that to me is sort of the tragedy of it of a lot of family dynamics and dramas and things like that and it's funny Mike that ultimately this movie is a tragedy (laughs) you know it's a damn tragedy what happens like it's promise ruined Oh, God, I love it. (laughs) By trying to keep the family's business together, the actual family has been destroyed. You know, like there's dead brothers, dead, the father's dead, the brother's dead, the other brother killed the other sister's husband. You know, like that relationship's destroyed. Michael goes to Vegas and like sees his other, his older brothers being pushed around. Now he's the older brother, you know, like the whole thing has just been shuffled around. And now Michael's basically the father of the family. And like, how is the youngest brother now the father is just so crazy, but that's where we are. It's so good. I want to run through a bunch of other people in the cast. So just give me me some of your thoughts here, here or there. Uh, You already mentioned Sterling Hayden as McCluskey. So, Let's let's go with oh, how could we forget Coastal Grandma herself, but pre Coastal Grandma era Diane Keaton as Kay. Yeah, Wait, Coastal Grandma. That I've never heard that term before, but I know exactly what that means, <laughs> and like she fits that bill exactly. Um, oh man, Kay is in way less of this than I remember. She's almost like for most of the movie, it's weird. She's like. I don't know how to like not even like around and an afterthought and stuff. And I almost didn't even get the sense that Michael was very much in love with her. And, you know, when he comes back and says, I've been back like a year and a half this time, it really hit me how long that is to be back and not tell the woman that you were probably going to marry one day or, you know, it feels like this relationship after he loses Apollonia, it feels like, well, in in my line of work, what else am I going to do? I might as well like go back and try and fix the one relationship with the woman who is already somewhat like has a peek into my life, then like try and start all over again. It's really sad, you know, that Michael is just emotionally sort of not available anymore for her. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know, but I, as a character, Kay, she she does her best. You know, she she holds her own. It's just such a different world. She to me must be the audience, right? Because like we're like her, like what the fuck is going on with this family? <laughs> Absolutely, she's so good as an audience surrogate. 
I'm, I'm surprised you haven't heard. It's like one of the biggest fashion trends among the TikTokers. But I love even more. Well, that's why. That's <laughs> why. What's a, what's a TikToker? But I love even more, Mike, that it didn't need explaining. You get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's so young here. And she had a lot of um, mm. experience working with Al Pacino on the New York stage. So and you could really tell, like you could tell that they know each other and they do have chemistry. And even as they, as he's growing apart from her, you could tell how strong her love for him is and what she's, what she's fighting. She's fighting the fact that she knows this guy is no good for her at the end, but she remembers the nice guy he was when they met. And ultimately, <laughs> she, she, I don't know if she thinks she could bring it out of him. Or she thinks that's still there, but she leaves this great life she has, like as a teacher, to be just a, a mafia Don's wife, and she's naive about it. And we'll we'll get to the ending, but again, I love the performance yeah. of Diane Keaton as Kay. You know what isn't flattering though is like the fashion that she has to endure, <laughs> like some of some of the hairdos, some of those some of the clothing and stuff whereas all the guys just get to wear dark suits the whole movie they're just in suits and that just they look cool yeah you know Kay is like trapped by like bad boy syndrome you know she's just like oh i'm gonna fix him and put him back the way he was you know like he's he, he's damaged and all this but i knew him before and like i know how to like kind of put him back together oh, and, and maybe one day tragic. <laughs> and who could blame her you know like he, michael is great is great stock like he's a great guy you know i mean well he was a great guy you know, <laughs> you know what i'm saying like when when they met, like in the beginning of the movie, like you say, like they are a great couple. Like they, they seem so footloose and fancy free all the time. But by the end, it's like it's like she married Darth Vader at the end, you know? <laughs> like he literally goes from like Anakin to Vader in this movie. And it's like scarier than that, you know? He's like the emperor or something. Oh, God, you're so right about that Anakin to Vader thing. It really is that. Right? It really is. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Uh, imagine marrying Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah, that's got to be some like Campbell thing too about the hero's journey. Like, there's some kind of thing about maybe the hero's failure or something like that too. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, all right, let's run through these. <laughs> let's talk about the Capos first. You mentioned Tessio already, Sal Tessio, played by Abe Vigoda. Was this guy always old? Pretty much, right? What I, what I loved about Abe Vigoda is. Um, when I was in high school, he would show up on Conan yeah. O'Brien like all the time as a as a punchline, you know, like like what do you think, Abe Vigoda? And he'd like turn to the screen and be like, "Why aren't I dead yet?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, so cool! I know he lived in New Jersey for most of his life. He um, died when was it? Twenty sixteen at the age ninety four. And what years? What years? Godfather seventy two. Yeah. Jeez, like, again, like, he just looked at the same for years. I know he was on, like, Barney Miller as well. Uh, great performance here because you're right. He does seem like he was kind of a uncle figure to the family. The Capos seem like two, mm-hmm. two uncles, essentially. Uh, and you could really tell that Tom Hagen looks up to him, which makes his, again, betrayal at the end a little sad. Yeah, yeah, that is a tender moment, yeah. And we're going to see younger versions of, of him and Clemenza, too, in the next movie, which is a lot of fun. And you mentioned Clemenza, played by Richard Castellano. 
Funny guy, apparently, on set, but would like to ad-lib a lot. He ad-libbed the cannoli line, apparently. Oh. Now, we won't see him in Godfather 2 famously, and we'll talk more about that then, but he, he, according to legend, he asked Coppola if he could write his own lines for Godfather 2. He wanted a really big pay raise, and then they just wrote him out, because they're like, no, you can't do that, buddy. (laughs) He's really, really good as Clemenza, though, and not just the leave the gun, take the cannoli thing, but like cooking with Michael and showing him sort of the ropes. Like, truly, Tessio and Clemenza are like the uncle figures of this movie, and they're so good at it. Yeah. I love when uh, when Kay calls and he's like uh, making fun of him, and he's like, Michael, that's my sweetheart. He's like, I gotta see you. I'm gonna die. Yeah. Michael, why <laughs> didn't like, you tell her you love her? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me you love her, Mike. Uh, and then when he's like, you know, teaching him about the gun and and how to make oh, the sauce oh. and and everything, it's just great. It's great. And I love when um, when they go to the mattresses and they have that a montage and they keep sort of cutting back to him, and he's in like various states of dress on a mattress, like waking up in different things. Like first he's woke, waking up sort of like fully clothed, and then by the end of that sequence, he's like waking up in his underwear or something like. It's so cool. I don't know. Yeah, they're great, great presences in the movie. Yeah, that was one of the sequences I didn't remember, actually. When I saw it this time, I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool. Oh, yeah. It's like they actually do go to the mattresses and their mattresses all over the floor. And they're all like living together and eating together. And I think that must be Coppola's dad playing the piano. It's got to be. It's got to be. Um. <laughs> this is the first time that I realized that that's what go to the mattresses means. Like, you go to war, you just sleep wherever, you do what you gotta do. I I knew the phrase, obviously. It's a famous phrase, but I didn't connect the actual mattress thing. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, we gotta stuff as many guys as possible in this hideout. And, like, we got no room for anything but mattresses. So, we gotta sleep on something. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, let's do these quick. Gianni Russo playing Carlo. Uh, You see him a lot in the offer. Supposedly real-time thug. He has a book if you want to read it. Recently, he talked very disparagingly about James Caan because apparently James Caan actually beat him up in that scene. Maybe we'll get to that. But uh, he's an interesting character if you want to just do a Wikipedia deep dive. Al Martino as Johnny Fontaine, uh, which is the Sinatra character you know, not Sinatra, Sinatra. I think he does a really great job, too. Yeah, yeah. I forgot he pops up again at the end in, in Vegas, and he's uh, he's very respectful, right? Like, that's his whole thing. He's just like, whatever you want, Mike, whatever the Godfather wants. Like, And he's like, you know, his career is doing great, too. So it, it's interesting. Like, at that point, it seems like a guy who is like, shit, like, I'm sitting across from the devil, and I forgot, like, I owe him my soul, and, like, he's here to collect. And then, like, thankfully, he doesn't ask for too much. <laughs> you know, nothing outside his capabilities or anything. But great actor. Yeah, loved him in this movie. Love how he gets slapped in the beginning by the Godfather. <laughs> real-life singer, too. Speaking of real-life singers, the matriarch of the Colleone family, Mama Colleone. Uh, she is played by Morgana King, who is an actual singer of the time, a famous singer. She's an interesting story, oh. so you should look her up as well. Underrated character here, because we don't get a lot of like mm-hmm. scenes where she's 
in command. She's kind of always in the background, but a major presence in the family, like any Italian family or really any, you know, family like this, right? Like how important is mom? But yeah. this year at the wedding, we, we hear how important. Right. Yeah. And the second film, even more important. Yeah. Yeah. She's mostly at the wedding, big presence at the wedding. You have to kind of figure out she's the mm-hmm. mom for most of the movie, which is interesting. There's that very telling moment when Connie and Carlo are having issues and doesn't she sort of say like you know it's none of our business or something or like you know like let them figure it out on their own or whatever she's trying to say to Sonny like you know don't get involved and all this stuff so but yeah yeah love uh love Mama Corleone definitely and through the family we learn so much of this old school Italian culture that I know is in the book and it's definitely in this film and that's one of those things like you know once a husband and wife are married you kind of just don't get involved no matter what even if you're the dad which is interesting you know at that time and just how important meals are and just how important again the honor of the family is so when you call when you say this is my family when you call someone godfather it's not just a title or you being cool like you defend those people like they're your family so yeah it's so cool so look you can go down the list and find people who have been in things he's a bigger character in the second film but i have to mention joe spinell as willie chichi one of like the <laughs> the uh oh. the, the, uh what like thugs i guess i don't know what they are just like hitmen he's in rocky as gazo that's how i always know him but funny guy whatever yeah that's what i knew him from like at the end and he's coming to take um when, when he's coming to take abe vigoda away i was like where the fuck do i know that guy from and i was like oh yeah he's telling rocky to like go collect the yeah be the collection guy uh richard bright as neary again he's i think bigger in the next two films al neary yeah yeah he shuts the door at the end i was like holy shit it's al i i didn't realize he was all the way back in this movie and i think as we talk about the scenes we'll hit the characters and actors we missed but i do want to bring up mm-hmm. alex rocco as mo green he's definitely in my top five favorite godfather characters mo green and alex rocco just kills it as this character yeah and he only really has one scene you know like he shows up he gives a big ass speech and then he gets shot <laughs> um, that's almost like better than being in the whole movie you know because you you make such this like big impression in such a short period of time so yeah really fun really fun character i forgot what i saw him in yeah we saw him in something right? recently a little cory cory movie called dream a little oh, dream from that's 1989 what it was. yeah <laughs> we covered that on my other podcast high school slumber party amazing oh let's just bring up this guy quick because he does such a good job, and we learn so much about him in the offer. And that's Lenny Montana playing Luca Brasi. Oh. Remember, he was an actual mafia thug that they they put in here. Him and whoever plays Enzo the Baker were like guys <laughs> off the street, essentially. And both, mm-hmm. both Coppola used their nervousness to accentuate the actual character's nervousness. The Enzo guy, it was actually the first scene he ever shot was that outdoor scene with Michael. So when he's fidgeting with the cigarettes, that was him actually being nervous to film. Not, nice. And Coppola's like, let's use this. That's what's great about this film. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's like all the uh, screaming children in the movie, too. You know, and it's like, yeah, the kids are just yelling. Like, okay, just like work with it. Yeah, you know, work it. Use it. That's okay. It's just natural. 
can't control that. That's very cool, though. Like all those little happy accidents. It's like the cat from the back alley, right? It's just like throw it in there, you know, see if it works. And if it does, let's keep it. Very cool. And we see that in the first scene. So good segue, Mike. I, I divided <laughs> this movie, and I'm sure I'm not a genius for this. I'm sure classes that teach The Godfather do it a similar way. But I divided this movie sort of in parts. And the first part, which I so intelligently called the prologue, to me, <laughs> is is the wedding slash Tom Hagen in Hollywood. I think that this yes. is like our introduction to who everyone is and what the mafia is. Because you and I, we know the mafia, right? Like, we're in. Like, we, we have our mafia handshakes, Cosa Nostra, whatever. But we live in 2023 <laughs> when we've watched a million mafia movies. If you're, if you're someone in Kansas watching this, I'm sure you've read about the mafia. But if you're in the theater in 72, you kind of need an introduction to exactly what they do, right? And this, this is perfect. Yeah. Good point, you know, because you have a lot of business going on, but you also have a lot of family life going on. So the wedding ceremony is perfect to show what their, you know, home life is. But then at the same time, he's doing business at the wedding. So you get the juxtaposition of of that, of work and home. And then you get with Tom sort of like what they actually do in the field. Okay, like he sends his enforcer out, he makes a threat to a guy that doesn't go right. They actually make good on the threat uh, and then they get what they want. And it's cool. And that is set up in a meeting at the wedding. So that is all very well connected and plays out nicely enough. I think that I would agree with you. Like that is a good representation in a short period of time of what this is sort of all about. You know, like how could people who are expressing so much joy and celebration and love and festivity be so cruel and so horrible, you know, and, and force their will and what they want. And like, who are they to say that they deserve to have what they want as opposed to someone else? Like, it's all very compelling, very compelling stuff. It's so, so good. So iconic. Just the opening in the office, how dark it is. I believe in America. And it sets everything up without being like corny and forced, but you almost get to know everything in this little meeting. And it's the it's the mm-hmm. undertaker who we meet later, by the way. And I know this has a lot to do with the Puzo book, which does this. But so many seeds are planted in the movie that come back later yeah. that it just it feels so freaking good when it happens right like when we see the undertaker later we see the baker later like you know what i'm saying but but it's it's even more than that too because like the guy's an undertaker and he's talking to basically the guy people consider like the grim reaper you know this guy deals in death and things like that and in fact the undertaker is going to come to him and ask for some dead bodies, you know, he's like, uh, you know, this whole thing about his daughter and the men that, that assaulted her. What's fun about this scene is the Godfather's like, who do you think I am? Like that, the punishment doesn't match that crime. He's like, I will only do what they did to her kind of, you know, it's like, you're like, what? He has, he is just in some ways. Like, this is really weird. What is going on? Like, what is the politics of the mafia? It's very interesting. It's intricate. It must be a case-by-case basis. It's complicated, <laughs> but it is. This scene tells you that they do have a code. 
especially Don yes. Corleone, right? They chose a case that, even though is not legal, we all understand where this father is coming from. He had a daughter, uh, she went out with some guys, and they raped her. He went to the police, um, there was a trial, and the kids got a suspended sentence, they kind of laughed at him, and the, how the Don puts it is like, look, you have a life in America, I know what you did here, you didn't want to be my friend because I'm in the mafia, I'm a mafia Don, you try to go straight lace. But he says it in like, sort of like a nicer way, where it makes sense to us as the audience why this guy would do this, but also why this guy would want the rapists of his daughter killed. Like, I think most fathers in that position would at least feel that way. I'm not saying they would go to the mafia and get them killed, but yeah, you, you have to understand where he's coming from. And then when the Don basically, like, you, you never... You know, you never call me Godfather. or You know what struck me even more? When he's like, you never invited me over for coffee or tea or whatever he says. Yeah, yeah. We could be friends. You know, he's like, I am not to be feared. Right? Like, we are allies. That's the way it could be. You never wanted my friendship. Is exactly how he puts it. And just how this guy begs for it to be done. And then he agrees to do it. But we also learn... That you can't refuse a favor on the day of your daughter's wedding in Sicilian tradition. I yep. cannot wait till my friend's daughter gets married. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, he will do what you request. However, one day you must do something for him as well. You know, it's tit for tat. It's, right? It's uh, quid pro quo or whatever they call it like you know not something for nothing it's like yeah you can come on my daughter's wedding day and ask me something but also like that means like you're in debt so it's kind of interesting on in that way too right it's like you better really want this to be done it's back to uh johnny fontaine once you're in this system you make a deal with the devil so yeah yeah it's it's a monkey's paw it's a genie like it's you know it's like uh the the wish is always a twisted result of some kind you know johnny fontaine yeah sure he, now he's a big movie star but like a horse had to get killed and a whole bunch of other bad shit probably had to happen as well for him to stay on top like that you know to destroy that one producer's entire career <laughs> it's oh, it's so epic like, just, I'm going to run down what I have for the wedding scene first. Just again, Connie's dress, the way the house is set, just how many people are there, how many cars are outside. We're seeing um, a lot of this wedding, too, through, like, one of the low-level thugs. What's his name? God, they say his name a bunch. Uh, I forgot. But he's like, oh, if that wasn't, you know... The Godfather's purse, I would steal it, Mamma Mia, you know? You have the, you have the people singing, like like the Lazy Mary song. The the old guy, yeah, like how yeah. about the old guy's like, oh, really? <laughs> I'm not going to do it. But He can barely talk and he's trying to sing. Just going. <laughs> and it's like juxtaposed by these meetings of death, essentially. Like it, not ev everyone is death related, but... A lot of them are. Um, you have, again, the baker coming in, where which is like kind of beautiful story about his daughter falling in love with someone, uh, an Italian man who was brought over and, and got a visa during the war to work. But now that the war is over, 
By the way, what's the year that this took place? It's the early fifties, but I can't, I can't remember. Or is it late forties? Sorry, late forties. I thought it, I thought it was a late yeah because Michael just got home. Because the movie takes place over a number yeah. of years, but you know we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. Nineteen forty-five, I think it starts. Yeah. So forty-five, right after the war, Michael comes home as a hero, as we see here. I love it because he is at this point. Him and Kay are both are outsiders, and if you've never seen the film. If you're looking at this, Michael, you're never thinking that he's going to be the one who's going to become the killer. He's introducing Kay to his brothers. You meet Tom Hagen. That's where you learn, you know, that he's sort of adopted. You, you meet uh, Fredo, who's pissed drunk. Yeah, that's definitely like a great character introduction for Fredo. <laughs> you know, it says it all right there. You meet Johnny Fontaine, and right away, you know he's like Sinatra level because all the girls are screaming. And it's one thing if, like, it's the relatives, but Kay's like, I didn't know you knew Johnny Fontaine. And Michael mm-hmm. telling the story as well about, like, how uh, Vito got him out of got him out of that bad deal or whatever and, and basically is the reason why he's famous. And it's like, oh, shit. All this is yeah. packed into, like, 15 minutes, essentially? Or 20 minutes, maybe? Yeah. It's amazing. It's super economic. And, you know, more to the point of that, how interconnected like the dialogue and the visuals and all the things are it's like Kay's like who's that scary guy over there and the Luca Brazzi's introduction like the story of that has to do with Johnny Fontaine it's the Johnny Fontaine she's like that's the guy who put the gun to the head and said you either sign the contract or get your brains blown out like yeah it's Luca Brazzi who who put the gun to the guy's head like it's so fucked up how like open he is to Kay, you know, he must really trust her at this point and be a very trustworthy guy because he's just telling family secrets. It's wild. And you can also tell with him telling these secrets that he doesn't feel like he'll be in this family like that, right? That's what he says, right? He says, that's my family, Kay. That's not me. Exactly. So, like, he probably wouldn't tell those secrets if he knew his fate later because, you know, those are family secrets, right? But he tells her basically, like, hey, listen, this is what my family does but I'm not going to get involved. You know me, Kay. You know me. (laughs) It's just, though, you know, do you tell those kinds of stories about your family when you brought your, you know, then girlfriend around for the first time? You know, you bring her to, like, a family function, and you're like, yeah, here's the worst stuff about what went down. I'll tell you (laughs) what, Mike. I would be more likely to if I didn't think I was really going to be a part of that family again. No, there. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe he's trying to say like, this is why I don't want to be involved. It's like this. Yeah, this is the kind of people they are, and I'm not like that. I understand that. Yeah, yeah. That's what I think it is. Like, listen, the reason I'm not going to be a part of this, the reason why I'm here for a wedding, but maybe not long term, is because (laughs) they're bad people. Essentially, they're bad people. (laughs) That's a true story. I love when he says that. That's a true story. (laughs) And so many seeds are planted in this initial wedding scene. How about Sonny banging uh, one of his wife's, one of Connie's friends, sorry. The wife knows her too, but like, and he's such a hypocrite because like he gets mad at other people dishonoring people, but he'll just bang literally a bridesmaid at, at the wedding of a sister yeah does that turn out to be lucy lucy mancini yes yes um, it is <laughs> yes it is 
So, you know, we got a little bit of Godfather 3 prequel gestating here and everything. But, yeah, that, that becomes a major plot point because that's how they get him. You know, he continually cheats on his wife. And so when they're at war, they know where to finger him. You know, they know where he's going to be if they or, or they know how to get at him. They know, like, also that with the Carlos stuff, you know, uh, using all of this in conjunction like yeah if he was more on the straight and narrow then they could get to him it would be harder to get to him but he's a hothead and he cheats so it's like he's out and about running around doing stuff and he's also flying off the handle this is the first watch that i ever believe it or not that i ever realized that the don is very much aware that he's banging people on the side right because he makes that comment Mm. like to Johnny, you're spending time with your family? I'm not going to do the Don voice, but he's, he, he's like, you're yeah. spending time with your family? Because if you don't spend time with your family, you're not a real man. And he, and the camera kind of looks like Sonny, and it feels like Vito says it basically to be like, to, to kind of needle Sonny a little bit. And then later, yeah. he does chastise him for it, like... You know, you're probably running around with that girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, he also, they have to wait for him because he's cheating upstairs in the bathroom and Tom has to go mm-hmm. get him. And that's got to piss off the Don. And he definitely says that in front of Sonny to say it to Sonny, you know, to make sure he hears that, you know. And I think he absolutely sort of looks at him out of the corner of his eye, <laughs> you know, and is directing it at his son as well because he's talking to Johnny Fontaine as a son. It's his godson. It might as well be his flesh and blood in that situation. So, yeah, I agree. I think he knows, and I think he's mad. And I think because of tradition in the old ways, and maybe he doesn't know how to talk to his son about those kinds of things, he is very passive-aggressive about it. It also gives him this quality of omnipotence. We do see him get knocked down later, but it's building him up to this level of, like, he sort of knows all. He sort of has like an eye in the back mm. of his head. He knows what his children are doing. He he ends up being yeah. the one to advise Michael of like what the real plan is, the real shit that's going on behind his back. Mm-hmm. So it, it gives him yeah. this like cool, cool, like magical quality, if you will. But then back to Johnny, as huh. you said, I love when Johnny Fontaine is complaining to him because he knows he needs this part. But he's, like, crying, like, Godfather, I don't know what to do. He's like, you could act like a man. But it's almost like, it's like crocodile tears. He knows he has to do that to sort of pull at the Don's heartstrings because he is his godfather. Well, it's like, it's like yeah. a little play that's going on between them, and then he, he does it. That's, that's interesting because he is an actor. So, you know, he's pouring it on for the Godfather. He's putting on a performance, and he's trying to get what he wants. And I think he does know how to sort of elicit a certain reaction from his godfather to get what he wants because he's done it in the past and the way to do that is to be like you know i i can't i I don't know what i can't do it for myself like i'm not strong enough i'm not a man and then the godfather be like you know toughen up do your you know you gotta learn how to do it yourself sometime but i'll take care of it this time you know, it's like, you got to act like a man and, and you like stand up for yourself and everything. And like he hits him, but then he's like, but OK, I'm going to take care of this producer guy for you. <laughs> like, you don't have to take care of it yourself. I'll take care of it this time. Like, it's very interesting. I I think in this in this watch, like Johnny Fontaine 
might uh, might have been playing his godfather a little bit without the godfather really knowing. <laughs> and even if he did know, it's almost like the thing, like doing a favor on the day of your daughter's wedding. It's not necessarily, I'm not saying he's being duped by that part, but I don't think the godfather thinks he's being duped. I think he, he's playing along with it as well. This is his godson asking for a favor. He knows he can help him, so he's going to do it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's all part of the, the the theatrics is like it's it's like the same with the undertaker. It's like you can't just say yes. You're going to say yes, but you got to make the guy sort of like earn the yes or you know, or maybe like feel bad for asking or something like that. You know what I'm saying? To be like, you know, you ask me for this thing, but it's like way more than you really want or so you know like he kind of talks him down or like changes the deal a little bit or something or other like that or other but that's interesting like how he doesn't just always flat out say yes he's like except for the except for the cake except for the uh the baker because that that request was like completely a hundred a hundred percent right he's like so you want your daughter to marry the man and stay in the case like oh, all right fine i don't have to kill anybody i don't have to like do anything like terrible all right this is a good one you don't have to do anything for me (laughs) yeah and that's great about this scene it shows the level of favors you can ask and from the lowest being luca brazzi and the favor is basically just like a thank you (laughs) to just the baker just get someone's citizenship and that's something like to be honest with you like my father someone who in the dominican community knows a lot of people like that's a favor someone might ask him right he's not a godfather Yet you get to things of kill this person for me, and it's like whoa. And I like this because in the second film, you kind of see the origins of this and how he became the Godfather, helping little favors here and there. In the second film, you see him help that lady who the landlord wants to kick her out because I think she has a dog. You know, such a small little favor. Yep. And and yep. yeah, and that's the origins of that. And he basically has his power. Because of favors, and I love that. So we'll get to um, the Hollywood thing in a second. Just a couple other notes I had on the wedding thing. Just iconic moments. Um, By the way, the table, like you see all these Italian desserts, like the Italian cookies. I love those Italian cookies. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Just the spread is amazing. Like food, the wine in like the pitchers. I love seeing that. And Clemence is like... Yeah, Paul, yeah, yeah. Paulie, that's like the the common thug's name. Paulie, give me some wine, and he gives him the pitcher. Clemenza just like yeah, chugs yeah, yeah. it, <laughs> and he's like sandwiches, sandwiches. Hey, couple cool. Hey, <laughs> just tossing sandwiches across the place. That's my kind of wedding. Um, <laughs> but uh, also, I know we joke about it at the beginning, but like not wanting to take the picture without Michael arriving. Michael's a late arrival, yeah. and it's also symbolic of how he is detached at this point from his family. He doesn't arrive on time he's in uniform he's sitting in the back you know he's kind of avoiding them for Mm -hmm. a little bit but eventually when he does take the picture with the family he brings Kay in and it's just like oh what a a nice version of this couple that would have been (laughs) (laughs) that's funny yeah it's interesting too because it's sort of like he's a late bloomer he's a late arrival like you know he's sort of always been late to the game but he's going to play it the best by the end of the movie he's going to be the one winning uh for lack of a better term you know so he might have shown up late but (laughs) you know no one's going to ever show up late for him ever again (laughs) oh god so crazy from again where we start to where we end 
But of course, the Fontaine favor leads to the direct command to Tom, hey, you're going to L.A. tonight. And you're, you're meeting this producer, Jack Waltz. You're figuring out how to get Johnny in this movie. And the rub is that Johnny says he's perfect for this part, and the producer won't give it to him. The Don doesn't even need to know. He kind of only sees it as a small-time, easily solved favor. And boom. Suddenly, we're on a plane. We're in L.A. Jack Waltz is like mm-hmm. a Warner or an MGM guy, you know. He, he runs a studio. Yeah, not not like Robert Evans, but older, <laughs> like an older guard than that. Like, yeah, the pre- the previous generation. Yeah, this is so fun. Like, this is to see Tom out on a mission and, like, the guy is so fucking rude to him. And Tom just, like, has to take it to the face and, like, be like, okay, that's fine. Like, so professional and all that kind of thing. We see the stuff with the horse. That's great. I So the film that they're talking about that Johnny Fontaine is perfect for. Are you aware of what the, what the movie in real life that Sinatra was, was trying to get like, this is based off of. I I've read it before, but I don't remember. Okay. I, I heard it was from here to eternity. Oh yeah. Cause he, didn't he win an Oscar for that or was nominated at least? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of funny how, like, I don't know. I just found out that that was the film you know, and that it did actually turn out to be, like, kind of similar. Like, oh, yeah, it was a role, like, fit for Sinatra. Like, yeah, it's, you know, he it was a role of a lifetime kind of thing. I kind of wish we saw a little more of Johnny Fontaine in L.A., like, shooting a movie or something. Uh, but we don't get any of that. But it's nice to tour the studio lot and all of that kind of stuff. And That was, music. Now, gra- yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. But this guy hates Johnny Fontaine, not just because he's Italian, but didn't he, like, date one of the ingenues that this producer really wanted to? And, like, the way he puts it kind of, like, ruined her or something like that? Like, like he, like sort of the same thing, Fredo banging two cocktail waitresses at the same time. Like, Johnny Fontaine is, like, taking out all of, like, the hot young talent before this producer can get his hands on it or something and, like, testing the goods and... I think it was maybe that's more in the book, but I was no, trying to no. figure out why he they... says that in the movie. Yeah, yeah. So he, okay, okay, yeah. Basically, he has a vendetta against Johnny. Um, by the way, he's cool with the Don. It's Hollywood. There's a lot of mafia involved in the union stuff, so he's not even like against any of that. It's the fact that Johnny he had a protege, a young woman, kind of a gross relationship. Let's be honest, right? Like he's a studio producer little like Harvey Weinstein here, but he's like basically banging this young girl who he's given voice lessons and all this. And this is what he's promising her. He even says, so, you know, to be quite frank, best piece of ass I ever had, essentially, right? Like she's his protege because she's beautiful, but he's also giving her a lot as well. It's, again, a gross relationship, so I don't have any sympathy for it. But Johnny meets her one day, sort of steals her in that way, at least has sex with her, and she basically leaves him in the arrangement because of it. So he he just basically, Johnny stole his girlfriend. He's a powerful man. He doesn't like it. That's it. Thanks for simplifying all of it for me at this late (laughs) hour. (laughs) Yeah, and then it just leads to Tom and him talking, and the horse, do you remember the horse's name, Mike? Cartoon. Cartoon. Interesting name. Sounds like cartoon. It's cartoon. I think it's a city in Sudan. 
Um, and he's got mm. these beautiful horses. Oh, oh, I want to say this. Before that, Tom's threats are so good. Basically, he says, oh, if you don't do this, you're going to have some union problems. I can help clear it up. But he's basically saying, if you don't do it, I'm going to create union problems. That's one. And, and two, he's like, oh, by the way, one of your stars moved from, like, weed to heroin. Essentially, it's like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's basically saying, like, we just, we're going to get him hooked on heroin. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh my god! Like I, again, was this like the first watch where I really took those threats seriously? I'm like Jesus Christ! But we know why this scene is so famous. Yeah, it's, this is the the horse head in the bed. That is why the horse head. Oh my god! And what we saw on the offer, and, and it's a true story that that was an actual horse head. Um, I think a lot of the blood is made up there. And just when uh, he, that guy wakes up in his like golden sheets. And he sees the wetness, and you hear that song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Boom. It's that head there. You're like, oh, shit. They don't fuck around. This this Don means business. Yeah. it. There's, like, horror in this movie. Like, horror movie-type st- stuff, you know? Like, yeah, there's, like, shooting up bang-bang kind of things, too. But there's also, like, there's also another sequence coming up where we'll talk about... Um, later in the hospital like that is shot like a horror movie you know there is no doubt like he is bringing in all kinds of genre to tell this story and he knows exactly when and where to sort of flip it and change it and so this was really good oh so good it's a little bit of that uh roger corman dementia 13 influence i bet whereas like just hear roger in the back of your head going like now there's got to be lots of blood bucket buckets of blood (laughs) i like that i like that mike horse head in a bed it's getting late i think (laughs) i think it's a perfect time to end part one of the godfather and again we're not always going to do two parts of movies jack's not going to have two parts (laughs) you know uh but (laughs) it's barely gonna have one (laughs) and i know the labeling is gonna be very confusing when when it says the godfather part two but it's not part (laughs) you know what i mean but it's not the godfather Part so yeah we're gonna have to do it by the godfather episode you know whatever yeah continue godfather episode whatever yeah (laughs) he used all the other titles saga legacy you know (laughs) So we'll figure something out, but we'll pick up. Compendium. <laughs> we'll pick up when, you know, I guess the, the second part of the movie I want to talk about is sort of the saga of the Turk. Mm. From the from the entrance of the Turk to Michael killing the Turk, essentially. <laughs> and then we'll, you know, we'll take it home for, through the rest of the movie as well. But this is a pleasure cool. watching it was so amazing. I might watch it again between talks. I finished my bottle of wine, believe it or not. It was delicious. I'm, I'm sorry. It was. <laughs> so thank, thank you, Francis, and Good. the people at the Coppola Vineyard. Mike, this was a, a an absolute pleasure. Yeah, this is a great start to talking about The Godfather, and I'm glad we're finally at the movies, <laughs> for, you know, at the silver screen and staring up at that big old... Uh, silver screen with this great old godfather's big old face on it so it's been a lot of fun and i can't wait to continue talking about the rest of this film and all of uncle francis's various cuts of all of his other various films so once again follow us on social media 
at O-H-M-Y Rodriguez. That's my personal Twitter. Mike, you're, you're the Mikester everywhere. I have other shows that Mike's on often. Um, most importantly, High School Slumber Party. On that podcast, we talk teen films, high school movies. Mike, you're the superintendent. So check that out. And Mike, I don't know what show you want to promote. You have so many shows. They're all great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, I will definitely promote The Monsters That Made Us with Dan Colon and myself, where we are going through the history of the Universal Monster movies. That is the last Friday of every month we put out new episodes. And you, you can find all the other shows that I'm on and involved with at cageclub.me. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of them. So please go explore. And, and Mike, we end our episodes the same way every time. But I, I, I want to show you something. I, I, I had to. I had to. And maybe I'll have to do it again for the, the next episode. But I picked, you do? I picked up some cannolis. Oh, my God. That was a great <laughs> idea. I, I definitely get some for the next show. I came woefully unprepared tonight. I didn't think of all these cool little uh, props like your shirt and the cannolis and the wine and everything. I uh, I got I to gotta step it up next time, okay? I got to... I gotta take it from Fredo up a notch and uh, bring it up to Sunny, you know? Mike, I just want to announce out there for our entire audience, the cellar dwellers out there, the nephews, that if you know anyone who makes cannolis in the New York City area who would like to sponsor us, please, we are open for sponsors. I picked up these cannolis, I'm not gonna say where, but I picked them up from a chain bakery located in a <laughs> a highly trafficked new york city transportation hub we'll leave it at that i don't know how good they are but i'm gonna and i'm lactose intolerant so i'm not gonna have too much but i'm gonna eat the <laughs> so you didn't get that at arthur avenue or anywhere in little italy or anything like that <laughs> I, I gotta say mike i was at arthur avenue last week at enzo's great restaurant they have a great cannoli place next yep. door I should have picked up cannolis, but they're not going to be. They weren't going to be as good for the recording. Maybe next time. Yeah, I'll, I hear you. Maybe next time I'll pick them up from that place. But I'm not going to mention that place either, unless they're a sponsor. If you want to sponsor us, <laughs> but, but, I'm, I know I'm pointing the cannoli at you, Mike, but I'm really pointing it at <laughs> at, at the uh, the cellar dwellers out there. Cannoli. If you want to sponsor this show and be the official cannoli of Uncle Francis's wine cellar, let us know. But this cannoli is pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Brian, the official cannoli. We need a mascot that's like a giant cannoli with eyes I can feel myself getting sick with the lactose with that cream. But oh, Don't have too much here. Just hand it through the computer to me. I'll eat the rest of that for you. So, Mike, why don't you say it as this is the end? Okay, well, leave the gun. Take the cannoli. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right, Brian, before you die, don't need any more of that. <laughs> this is the end, beautiful friend. This is the end, my only friend. The end of our elaborate plans. The end of Stands the end, no safety or 